You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in today's lecture, we're going to continue our discussion on Isaiah chapter 11. And we'll look at these themes of, of Jesus, the, the Christ, being the root of Jesse. And thus, we'll look at this understanding of his kingdom that comes first to the Jews, and as this word goes out, is extended to the nations. So at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 8 through 9, we read these words. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the otter's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the water covers the sea. Now, in this text, we have a reversal of the fallen creation. Now, remember back at the beginning when the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning, the devil himself, that ancient serpent deceived Adam and Eve? Before, the serpent had brought harm and death. But now you have a reversal where the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the otter's den so that you, you have no harm that comes from the serpent. Now again, as we talked about last time, this language of a child is the language uh, of the imagery that's painted throughout Scripture of those who either come from the devil, the sons of the devil, they are the brood of this viper, or they are children of God, either sons of disobedience or sons of light. Now we're talking about this restoration of creation, and that we're talking about this conversion into the people of God, to listen, to hear what he has to say, unlike Adam, who was in rebellion and refused. And so those who prefer lies are children of their father, the devil, whereas those who prefer truth are children of their father, God, our heavenly father, the one who is the creator of all things. And so this language of child, as Luther points out, is for the preacher. The preacher is the one who will start off now proclaiming the word. Whereas Adam should have taught the word to Eve, he caved in and he did not continue to teach it. In fact, you had Eve rise up in rebellion and try to teach Adam the word. Whereas Adam was given that word and given the responsibility to make sure that word was taught correctly, to Eve. But now, so Luther, when he looks at this, he sees the child as the preacher. The one is going to take the word that God gives, and he is going to teach it to others. In fact, this is what Luther points out, that, uh, that Jesus calls his disciples in John chapter 13, where Jesus says to the disciples, the ones he is going to send out as apostles, he calls them little children. Yet a little while I am with you, you seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love for one another. And so you have this, this image of a child who's now a preacher who's going to preach this command, this commandment of the Lord, which is very simple, love one another. Well, I mean, with Adam, it was also very simple. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet that didn't last very long. And so the opposite here is now going to take place, that this child, the little children, the preacher, will preach the love of Jesus, that we are to love one another and show forth that we are actually sons of God, adopted, born again through water and the Spirit, that we actually have this love that God has for us. As God loves us, we love others, as John will tell us later on in his epistles when he goes into further detail. But again, this language of the child, the language of the child not being afraid of the snake, for the snake will not bring hurt or harm. He will not destroy. And so what the child will preach and he'll teach is that we're to love one another and we are not to hurt or harm or destroy or bring death like the devil did. But here in this image where you have this reversal of fallen creation, this hole of the cobra and this den of the adder, the child can play freely over this. And as we see when Jesus sends out his apostles, he tells them in Luke chapter 10, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so you have this same picture in this image of these demonic forces, these fallen angels, these spirits who are seen as serpents. And as we see from the very beginning, the ancient serpent who deceived Eve with a different message. So these fallen messengers give these doctrines of demons and people follow after them. But not true with the disciples. Jesus gives them his word of truth and he gives the spirit of truth. that They are to proclaim truth to all people. Or later on in Mark's gospel, at the end in chapter 16, where Jesus sends out these apostles and says to them, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so here Jesus describes the kinds of signs that will accompany this word of the kingdom so that they are to proclaim this restoration of all things, and then they are to show it in these works, uh, these deeds of these miracles. And of course, again, you see this ability to pick up the serpents, that they will cast out demons. And of course, later on in the book of Acts, we actually see where Paul himself is even bitten by a poisonous serpent and does not die. So even though the venom of the serpent uh, is now within him, this does not overtake him, for he has life from God. So in Acts chapter 28, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat and fastened on to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. 
He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And so you see this, this whole image here of the snake that bites Paul. And in this restoration of creation, the animals do not bring the harm to humanity. Instead, mankind has dominion over this so-called animal kingdom. And so here, when this viper tries to attack Paul and bring him hurt and harm and destroy him, it cannot, for he suffers no harm. And so this is this image that we, we have here with this reversal of fallen creation. And when God brings this image to our minds here, he immediately brings back this image of a mountain. Now, we saw this in Isaiah chapter 2. Now, remember, the mountains are, are the kingdoms. These kingdoms, they come and they go, and they lift up, they rise up, and they exalt themselves. But here you have the holy mountain, you have God's kingdom coming. And when God's kingdom comes, everything is reversed. Where there is death, there is life. Where there is darkness, there is light. Where there is falsehood, there is truth. So now go back to Isaiah chapter 2, where the Lord proclaims this to us, that it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. So again, you have this picture of the church, the kingdom of God being spread throughout the earth, that it becomes the highest of all the mountains, that God's kingdom overtakes these kingdoms of the earth in the preaching of the gospel, because this is a spiritual kingdom, and it comes by the proclamation of the cross, the person and work of Jesus. So again, this, this mountain of God's holiness, this is the place where God's holiness dwells. This is where God is in the midst of his people. This is the church. This is where Jesus' kingdom comes and people are brought into his kingdom. Now, of course, as he continues to explain this, that this, this mountain of Yahweh, this mountain of holiness, this holy mountain shall rise up. He then goes on to say the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh. And so once again, we see in this text the conversion of the Gentiles, that this message of Jesus, this Torah, the instruction, this word of Yahweh will go out from Jerusalem so that the knowledge of Yahweh is spread over all the earth. The gospel will go to all the nations. And remember, again, there will be no hurting, there will be no harming, there will be no death or destruction. Well, that's what we had back in Isaiah chapter 2. Now, this true knowledge of Christ begets this harmony. It brings peace because we now have peace with our Creator. So here Isaiah tells us that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh. Now, in Isaiah 53, he will unpack that and clarify exactly what that means. So that we learn of the suffering servant, 
we learn of the mystery of the incarnation and this atoning sacrifice. So Isaiah writes in chapter 53, By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, he will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. And so this knowledge of Yahweh that goes out, this is the knowledge of salvation. That those who hear this message are justified through faith. That they are brought into the kingdom. That he takes their sin, their iniquity, their wickedness to be his own. And then he bestows his righteousness upon the people. And he gives to them the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Now in chapter 11, verse 10, Isaiah goes on and he writes, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so we have this image now of the root of Jesse once again. Uh, this is how we opened up chapter 11, that we're talking about a king in his kingdom, that we're talking about the line of David, but not just another son of David, instead the true son of David, the one who is the root of Jesse. And he shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Now, the early church father Eusebius, uh, back in the uh, fourth century, he writes and he says this, that when Isaiah uses this imagery of standing, of rising up, this clearly indicates the resurrection from the dead. For he himself shall arise and stand up, and after which the rulers and leaders of the nations, they shall hope in him, because this message will go out, for he is the Savior of the nations. For his kingdom will have no end. He will rule everywhere on earth. So again, in a passage like this, we see the conversion of the Gentiles. And this is not something new to Isaiah. This is something that was promised all the way back to Adam and Eve. That Adam and Eve and all of their children have this promise. That the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. In fact, Genesis chapter 49 ends on this note that this promise is for all the peoples. For we read in Genesis 49, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. For the Messiah is Shiloh. He is the expectation of the nations. Now in Isaiah chapter 11, the Messiah is called the root of Jesse. Later on in Isaiah 53, again, when we talk about the suffering servant, the Messiah who comes to die, we have this same image. Isaiah can see into the future in the completion of these promises, and he accounts for us saying that he grew up like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, and he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So he is this root of Jesse, but yet he is the desire of the nations. Now, later on in the New Testament, this same image of a root is used in the book of Revelation. 
in particular, you have this at Revelation chapter 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, later on in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus then himself uses this same imagery. And he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Likewise, the Apostle Paul uses this imagery in his letter to the baptized in Rome. In chapter 11, Paul writes and says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So that you have this understanding that Jesus is this root that is holy, and we are branches that have been grafted into Jesus, thus becoming holy because of his holiness. So thus, the holy root makes the branches holy, and then they bear holy fruit. And so Paul will use that same kind of imagery back in Romans 7, when Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Of course, we're familiar with the similar language that Jesus will use in John chapter 15. But of course, in that case, it's Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we bear much fruit when we abide in him. John the baptizer uses the same kind of imagery of root and fruit when he's proclaiming at the Jordan and Jesus is baptized. For John says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we understand that Jesus is the root, the root of Jesse, that it's from Jesus flows holiness and goodness and, of course, fruit. Now, back to Isaiah chapter 11, when Isaiah is using this language of the root and the fruit, Then he shifts gears and he uses the image of a signal, that he shall stand as a signal for the peoples, and the nation shall seek him. Jesus himself in the gospel according to John, he said in chapter 12, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So this a signal for the peoples and nations is Jesus on the cross. And then the message of the cross is brought to the peoples in the preaching of the gospel, the sending out of the apostles. Of course, when Caiaphas was high priest, he didn't understand that the cross itself is this lifting up and the signal that will be broadcast out to the nations. So you have in John chapter 11 in the, the previous chapter, Caiaphas, who was the high priest, said, You're said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own cord, but being high priest, that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, 
but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And so even Caiaphas, when he, he is trying to put Jesus to death, trying to silence this message that Jesus proclaims and this, this identity that Jesus is the king of the Jews, and actually this crucifixion, this is the lifting up the signal for the people so that the nations will seek Jesus. Now, this language of seeking is vitally important because before in Isaiah chapter 8, we already were taught about seeking. The prophet wrote that people should seek their God. And now here we're taught that the people will seek this man who is lifted up on the cross, the one who is of the house of Jesse, so that we learn this mystery of the two natures, that he is truly God, one who, whom the people should seek, and he is also truly man, born of this house of David and able to suffer and die on the cross and then raised from the dead to restore our corrupted nature. So when Caiaphas the high priest tries to put this kingdom to an end before it ever begins, he puts the body of Jesus into the tomb. But yet Isaiah said, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so, of course, when Martin Luther is uh, commenting on Isaiah, looking at this passage and seeing Christ himself here, Luther notes that this resting place is his death. And so the whole irony here is the reign of earthly kings comes to an end at the death of this individual. But now everything is backwards here because the reign of Christ and his kingdom actually begins with his death. So this resting place is glorious. It's not something that brings the kingdom to an end. Now, on another note, when we're looking at the Old Testament scriptures that are proclaiming Christ in that day into the future, we also look at the connection to the New Testament scriptures that see the fulfillment of all these promises. So we look at passages in the Old Testament and see how they are then treated in the New Testament. And so in particular, when we're looking at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, we see that the Apostle Paul uses this passage in Romans chapter 15 in order to proclaim Christ. And so what Paul does in Romans 15 is he says this, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles will hope. Now notice what the Apostle Paul does with this text. This language of rising up, this language of standing, of course, always pointing to the resurrection. But here in particular, he rises up to do what? To rule the Gentiles. That he is to be a king, that he is to bring this kingdom. He is the king of kings. So he's the root of Jesse, but this kingdom will extend to all earthly kingdoms. Again, the mountain of God will rise higher than all the mountains of the earth. And so he is the one who comes to rule the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles will hope. 
Now, if you recall, we had already alluded to Genesis chapter 49. And so, like Genesis 49 proclaimed when Moses taught us, that the peoples will be subject to this king. His kingdom will extend to all the nations. And Isaiah will explain this later on in chapter 42, in which we are told about the suffering servant is the servant that's chosen by Yahweh. Thus, the Father says in verse 1 of 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And later on in verse 4, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in earth and the coastlands wait for his Torah. So again, this is the conversion of the Gentiles, that those who had been in the dominion of darkness, who have been under the captivity of the devil for so long, will now see this great light and be brought into the kingdom of light. And there will be one people of God. So when the Apostle Paul writes to the baptized in Ephesus, he describes it in this way. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now again, notice the way that Paul describes the Gentiles. They are those who were far off. They were without God. They had no hope. They were separated from Christ. But now the message goes out, this Torah, the instruction from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and those who are far off are now brought near. For this message first goes to the Jews, those who are near, and then it went out to those who were far off. Now back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, we read, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. Before we continue, let's comment on a couple of things here. First of all, this, this language of extending his arm yet a second time is the language of the Exodus. Yahweh brought his people out of Egypt with his outstretched arm his extended hand. 
this, so that when you hear this terminology of a hand or of an arm, this is the activity of God directly expressed in the person and work of the second person of the Holy Trinity, because it's the hand of God that brought the people out of Egypt. And so this hand, of course, is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. And so he did this in Egypt, and he will do this a second time. He will do this again. So that what we saw in Egypt is that you have a kingdom that is in opposition to God's kingdom. You have Pharaoh who places himself as king over Christ, who is truly king. And so you have the hand of Pharaoh holding on to the people, but yet the hand of God is the one that will release the people from their Pharaoh's clutches. And all of this points to this second exodus, this greater exodus, in which we are all delivered from the tyranny of the devil. Because remember, these earthly kingdoms that are of darkness are in league with the devil, trying to prevent God's word from coming. But it is the remnant, it is that small group who believe, who hear this word and cling to the promise fulfilled in Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.